thunder, 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 thunder strikes. Ever heard of that term? Thunder will strike you. <laughs> if you lie, the thunder will strike you. That's the way it is. So uh, I had a few technical difficulties this morning. Um, you know, my computer decided it needed to do a bunch of updates and <laughs> all these things. It was driving me insane. And obviously, I, I, I didn't get to actually get home into my home till almost 6 a.m. And it, it was just the most craziest thing ever, uh, traveling. I mean, it was, it was fruitful. It was necessary. Um, and, uh, it was, <laughs> it was an adventure. See, uh, the adventure <laughs> didn't end with me, you know, arriving back to Cleveland at some point, uh, taking a flight that was supposed to leave at 9 p.m. from Atlanta. I boarded at like 1.45. Um, and uh, it's... <laughs> It's Thursday and it's like Thursday was insane for me. Um, uh, you know, the, the travel was ridiculous, uh, delays upon delays. Now keep in mind insurance that you get, uh, does not cover you like airlines are not supposed to make it right for you unless it's weather related. So they keep saying weather, um, it's not the truth. They kept saying, oh, there's weather, uh, there's too much traffic coming in in these airports, and uh, this is the problem that we're having. The fact of the matter is the airlines have staff shortages. So uh, the bottom line is if you're traveling anywhere, you need the whole day of travel and then half a day to make up for it uh, because it is that bad. I mean, if I wasn't um, so chill, I probably would have been like one of those foaming at the mouth people. Like I really didn't care because I would just find somewhere and sleep. I found this amazing neck. You know, I'm against neck pillows only because they're so clunky and you have to carry them around. But um, I found this uh, neck pillow that rolls into this thing and it's like a two-tiered foam. Damn, that's like the best neck pillow ever. And you can literally wear it in sleep wherever you are. Um so uh, they, they're having major issues at the airlines and, you know, people are saying it's staffing shortages, obviously, because of the vaccine regulations. Uh, it's It's been coming really, really bad. It's hitting airports hard. And um, it is the most, uh, <laughs> the most, I, you know, how can I say, I want to say, uh, how do I use that? I want to find the right word. They're always making excuses up as to why they're late. Um, but <laughs> the truth is simple. They don't have staff. In fact, um, when I was leaving California, and I really wish I would have had time to kind of like hang out with um, with people in California. I just didn't have the bandwidth because I had purchased my tickets to come back in time for this event, which then I was disinvited for, uh, you know, cause I'm not, um, a GOP, uh, endorsed candidate, which then, um, this morning on their Facebook page, the Hillard County GOP Republican club lied and said, Oh, there was a scheduling conflict. So I won't be speaking. They're literally lying like blatantly lying. This is what rhinos do. I don't care what anybody says, right? 
If you think the GOP is for you, it's such a lie. You've seen it the way they treated Laura Loomer. You've seen it how they treat other, you know, people that are part of the GOP. If you're not in the club, you're not allowed to, uh, you know, hang with them. Now, uh, a lot of people uh, that have been traveling have concerns. And, you know, believe it or not, it is the actual CNN channel that is going to, their reporting is going to make it difficult for people to not file claims. Now, airlines have apparently staffing shortages and they even said it on CNN. So it's not weather related. Therefore, anyone getting stuck, delayed, losing flights uh, can demand things from the airline. Um, Here's their report. They said it, not just the people. It's been a rough start to the summer travel, travel season. season. Airlines yesterday canceled more than a thousand flights and another 3,400 were delayed. The disruptions are largely because of weather on the East Coast. And CNN's Pete Muntean is live at Reagan National Airport, where a lot of people, I'm sure, Pete, this morning are hoping they do not experience the day that travelers had yesterday. That's right, Caitlin. You know, airlines still reeling from that bad weather yesterday. Just check FlightAware. More than 1,400 cancellations in total nationwide just yesterday. And the cancellations are already piling up today. More than 500 today so far. Remember that airlines got a lot smaller over the pandemic. That makes bad weather hit them even harder. That means this is going to be a big summer of flight cancellations. It is an expensive summer of travel stress at airports worldwide, with airlines struggling with staffing shortages and schedule meltdowns. Now we're stranded. Gianna Morales's $1,000 flight to a beauty pageant was canceled, only to rebook on a different flight that was also canceled. From Thursday to Monday, airlines in the U.S. canceled more than 5,400 flights. It makes me not want to travel at all. Go on no airplanes, nothing. New analysis from travel site Hopper says flight cancellations have jumped 34% in the last month. Domestic ticket prices are up too, by 18% since 2019. Even still, passengers are packing planes. Last weekend, the TSA screened more people at airports nationwide than any weekend since the start of the pandemic. Travelers are willing to pay more and they're willing to face potential disruptions because they really want to go on these trips that they've put off in many cases for two years. Thank you very much for all being here today. Airline CEOs lobbied Congress for $50 billion in pandemic aid to keep workers on the job. Even still, airlines got smaller, offering employees early out and retirement packages. I'm tremendously angry. Airline consumer advocate Bill McGee says airlines are not keeping up their end of the deal. Southwest and Delta pilots have picketed to say they are overworked. Airlines insist they are hiring hundreds of new workers each month while dealing with storms and air traffic control issues. I've never seen a meltdown of this proportion. The fact is the airlines still refuse to own this. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg has told airline CEOs to stress test their schedules and add customer service staff with July 4th travel on the horizon. AAA forecasts 47.9 million Americans will travel for the holiday, but a shrinking share will take to the skies. You can't ignore, we've had six months constant stories of delays, cancellations,
bad weather, long lines, frustration, and somebody may decide, you know what? I think it's easier for me just to hop on the car and go this year. We also heard from United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby about this, and he put some of the blame of cancellations back on the federal government. He says that the FAA needs to more properly staff up on air traffic controllers to alleviate some of these delays. The FAA tells me that it insists that is not an issue, and it is moving controllers around to hotspots like Florida. I also spoke to House Transportation Chair Peter DeFazio about this. He says he wants a readout from every major airline about how many pilots they have on staff right now. We will see, Caitlin, if this means even more congressional hearings for the airlines. Yeah, you can totally see why they would be having those. People have big questions about why this is so disruptive. Pete Muntean, thank you for bringing us the latest. Why is it so disruptive? If you guys remember, Pete Buplug actually said that he was so upset that he's going to federalize the airlines, right? I guess that's the point. See, they gave him a bailout, but now they can actually put in rules and regulations to control. Oh, people are like, yeah, you know, why fly when I can drive? Well, how are you going to drive with $8 a gallon? (laughs) It's almost as if they don't want people going anywhere. This is what it looks like. Totally does. Now, uh, (laughs) I can tell you firsthand, the delays are insane. Uh, The communication is bad. And, uh, you know, I urge anyone that has time and wants to see people losing their shit to watch this. uh, There used to be a a reality show about airlines. And I kid you not, I had never had seen, you know, drama at an airport until after I watched that show. It was like I brought that I brought that shit into my life by just watching it. But I actually witnessed a meltdown between employees and I was just like, what's going on? So we're waiting to board the plane in a city and it's a far fly right past the sh- the west shores it was a fly it's like past the southern shores it was a fly and um uh as we were waiting to board they said unfortunately we don't have someone at the gate and i'm like wait hold on a second i've been sitting here just watching this holy crap they got into it so basically they were all infighting amongst themselves doing something and then security got called and Someone ran away because they were upset. They they lost their minds. They were fighting. And it looked really weird that the pilot and stewardesses and other people were all huddled behind a door. It was just so um, insane to watch. <laughs> really, it was. I was kind of like, damn, this is, this is nuts. It was actually happening. I saw it in front of me. And the thing is, they're all infighting amongst each other because they're all spread thin. They don't, they don't have enough pilots. They don't have enough people to do anything, really. And they're selling tickets to people. They're selling tickets to people without the ability to actually make good on it. It's like, why would you do that? Well, because this is how you create an issue. And this is how you can create the facilitated, I would say, foundations, right, to uh, <laughs> kind of like get a bailout or maybe federalize them in some way. Oh, I'm sorry, you can't fly. You don't have a VAX card. <laughs> Those are the new rules and regulations now that we're flying. Sorry. 
you know, this is how things change. They create chaos and then find solutions to it. Now, um, as we can see, the news are really heating up. Today we had uh, the Supreme Court actually rule in favor of the Second Amendment. And I found a great clip that outlines this. And believe it or not, it's from Fox. And we're going to talk about Fox today because it's very interesting uh, what we're going to talk about in regards to Fox News. <laughs> but we've got the Supreme Court on our side. It was a 6-3 ruling pro-guns. Take a listen. Supreme Court, it deals with guns in America. in America. It's a 6-3 ruling, but we have not seen the opinion yet, Dana. At issue here was New York State Rifle and Pistol versus Bruin. It's the biggest gun control case the court has had in 14 years. Uh, at issue, two gun owners in New York had their applications denied based on a failure to show what is considered a proper cause mm -hmm. in states like New York to carry a concealed weapon outside of the home, you need special permission to do that. And these men were arguing that's a violation of Second Amendment rights. So the court holds, here we go now, the court holds that New York's proper cause requirement to obtain a concealed carry license violates the Constitution. Yep. By preventing law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms in public for self-defense. That's the ruling 6-3. It'll affect states like New York and about seven others that had similar restrictive rules. This is a significant big case. I know we have Jonathan Turley and I believe we have Shannon Bream with us. So we'll get them here in just a moment. Just let me set up one thing. And then we also have Andy McCarthy. This is really good. So it's 6-3. And one of the things that happened in this case, and Jonathan, maybe I'll go to you first if you're able, um, is that the gun rights activists, once they started down this road, they might have realized at some point, as I remember reading, that they might have actually hurt their cause here. Um, because this now, this decision, <laughs> it kind of, for the gun rights people, it kind of backfired. For people who were wanting people to have more self-defense rights, it seems that they have won in this Supreme Court case. They have won. And the, it, it is an interesting point that you make. New York has been the gift that keeps on giving for gun rights advocates. Uh, they, like D.C. and Chicago, have lost major cases before the Supreme Court. This was a case that many of us wrote on when it was in the lower courts. Uh, I thought that it would result as it did today, that this was a case that clearly was unconstitutional under the controlling authority of Heller. And what you have in, in jurisdictions like New York is a, is a very strong gun control effort, uh, but they often produce cases that quite frankly are welcomed by many uh, gun mm -hmm. rights advocates because you can create, in their view, this was a bad case uh, to make some good law. Uh, and they did so. This is a 6-3 mm -hmm. decision. Uh, you have Justice Thomas looking at the history of the Second Amendment, looking at the holding in Heller, and saying that the answer is clear, that you cannot impose this burden on uh, gun owners to be able to carry a concealed weapon. Jonathan, stand by here. I know you and Andy McCarthy and Shannon Bream are reading through this, um, uh, through the opinion right now. And Shannon, I want to go to you, but just to put a headline here, in a major ruling for gun rights, the Supreme Court has cited um, with these two gun owners in New York saying that their 
striking down, rather, the restrictive gun law in New York state. Shannon, to you, what do you read? Yeah, what had happened is these two gun owners were looking for the opportunity to carry a concealed weapon. They had other licenses and other things that allowed them to carry their guns for specific reasons. But they said, I just want to be able to carry one. I think that that's my constitutional right. But in New York, you had to have a special showing. You had to have a reason to to say that you had a justification for carrying a gun in a concealed way. Well, they said there shouldn't be those those restrictions. If I'm a law-abiding citizen, I should be able to carry. So in striking down that uh, New York law and essentially sending this case back down, here is what Justice Thomas, writing for the majority, six to three, says. He says the constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense is, quote, not a second-class right subject to an entirely different body of rules than the other Bill of Rights guarantees. And he's used this language before talking about the fact that he thought that the Second Amendment was in some cases being treated as a second class right. He goes on to say, we know of no other constitutional right that an individual may exercise only, excuse me, my computer here, (laughs) only after demonstrating to to government officials uh, some special need. That is not how the First Amendment works when it comes to unpopular speech or the free exercise of religion. It is not how the Sixth Amendment works when it comes to a defendant's right to confront the witnesses against him. And it is not how the Second Amendment works when it comes to public carry for self-defense. So he says New York's proper cause requirement or that this special showing that you have to have to carry a gun violates the 14th Amendment in that it prevents law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their rights to keep and bear arms. The dissent is written by Justice Breyer. Of course, he is just days away from retirement. He's joined by Justices Kagan and Sotomayor. I haven't read his dissent yet. It's about 135 pages long, uh, but we're getting there. That's the headline ruling, uh, Bill, a big win for gun rights Just picking one line out here, Shannon, from Justice Thomas. The government will have to show, he says, that a gun regulation is, quote, consistent with this nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation, which goes right to the Second Amendment. Uh, to Andy McCarthy now and your reaction, Andy. Well, I think this is, an, this is a faithful rendition of what the Second Amendment is, which is really the most misunderstood amendment in our, in our public discourse, I think, Bill. Um, you know, the Second Amendment is not a right to bear arms so much as it is an acknowledgement that there is a pre-existing right to bear arms that w- that existed and was was derived from natural rights at the time the Constitution was ratified. So it's not a positive grant of a right. It's an acknowledgement of a right that already existed, and it's a prohibition on government from regulating that right. So if you're within the ambit of the right to keep and bear arms uh, as it was understood, the idea is not the government's doing you a favor and allowing you to defend yourself. The point of the right is to limit the ability of government to disarm the public in, in terms of that ambit of what the, uh, the Second Amendment protects. So, you know, the, the, our discourse seems to presume that government has a right to regulate as long as it's reasonable. And what the Constitution says is no, you have a right to defend yourself, and the Second Amendment is a limitation on the government, not a limitation on you. And that is why this case was so important. Because if New York State got away with telling people who can or cannot carry arms, then every single state would do the same. This is why they sneak in, you know, Second Amendment stripping, uh, you know, uh, rights, 
legislation in other bills. This is why they're trying to get the red flag laws in place where Karens can tell on you or people that are extremely scared of guns just looking at them. There's a lot of people that have never even held a weapon, let alone, you know, uh, you know, carry one themselves. They're really coming after your guns hard. And again, the Second Amendment is in place to protect your First Amendment. And it's all about arming yourself, not just for personal safety, but arming yourself against the government. And this all ties in with their push and attempts to actually impeach Supreme Court justice. You know what's funny? We've already uh, supposedly confirmed a justice that isn't taking her place there. And you have to wonder what is going on. Well, maybe the next few minutes of this report might give a little bit of insight because the Supreme Court stood very firm on the Second Amendment, destroying any narrative of any state saying you can't carry or whatever. In the state of Ohio, I can tell you that as of June 1st, which officially June 13th, because, you know, um, in my building, uh, police officers are actually security. And I asked them. They said, yeah, well, you can conceal and carry as of June 13th, you know, but, you know, there's like specific provisions. I said, that, that what does that mean? He's like, I, I you know what, it, it's, it's so technical, like none of us care as long as you don't shoot anybody, you know, whatever. But states are trying to control who can conceal, even if they give you constitutional carry, which is now all struck down. Thank goodness, because anyone who was like, fine, we'll do it, but then we'll have provisions lost that game because of this this Supreme Court ruling, ruling. So we have to be very grateful for these two people who probably spent a fortune appealing all the way up to the Supreme Court to win it for all of America. These people are going to go down in history for ensuring that the states cannot treat the Second Amendment as like uh, Justice uh, Supreme Court Justice um, Thomas Clarence has has Clarence Thomas has said uh, as a second rate, you know, right. It's not. It's in place to protect our first, and that's what's important. So uh, this is uh, this is a huge, huge win, huge win, because this disables your state from putting provisions in to telling you if you can carry or not. So if your state doesn't have constitutional carry, well, you need to do it. And like I said, two things you need to do is one, on your federally uh, federal level, state and house, make sure that these people repeal Obamacare down to the first letter on that bill. The second thing is you need to find ways and laws to recall and impeach. Why? Because you will have your states now claiming their independence now to um, evade federal rules and regulations. Now, <laughs> it's very interesting how this works. This is a win for the foundation of this nation, but this is also an avenue to give states to battle it out. Uh, I, I would love to see how New York State, the Empire State, will respond to this. Interestingly, Interestingly, in looking, looking at this, this John, John, I wanted, I wanted a, maybe, maybe a little bit of a two-part two question, question here, here which, is, which is, this is seismic for a lot of reasons. Um, 
especially because it's not just New York. Uh, these are the other states where it would uh, have an effect. California, Delaware, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Rhode Island. And when you have a case like this that um, has such a seismic impact, how long does it take for a state, those other states or even New York to change its rules? As, as of today, it, does it change? Oh, those are presumptively unconstitutional and they should be changed. But the question is, they really can't be enforced to the degree so they disagree, they contradict this decision. This is a momentous decision for uh, gun rights advocates and for the Second Amendment. Uh, it has all of the elements that you as often associate with a Thomas opinion. He brings up sort of originalist history, swatting back arguments from later and after the ratification as largely irrelevant to understanding the intent behind the uh, Second Amendment. But most importantly, the court rejects a two-part test for looking at limitations on uh, gun rights and stresses you need to presume that people have a right to exercise individual rights uh, like uh, like uh, gun possession. And that means that you can't put this sort of thumb on the scale as New York did here and say, show us that you have proper cause, including moral standing uh, to have a gun. And what the court really hammers at is that this would not be tolerated with other rights in the Bill of Rights. And there is a tendency among many, uh, among some judges and, and many legal analysts uh, to treat the Second Amendment as something less than an individual right. And what Justice Thomas is saying here is that this is an individual right with the other rights in the Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. And we don't like uh, shifting the burden to people to say, prove you need to use this right. Mm. Uh, back to Shannon and Andy on this. I mentioned 14, this first case regarding guns of significance before the court in 14 years. And Shannon, in 2008, they ruled that the Second Amendment, amendment rather, guaranteed individuals uh, the right to have a gun at home for self-defense. Uh, and, and now this ruling essentially... Um, addresses whether the individual can carry the gun outside the home. And Shannon, after living in New York for the past 20 years, I, I, I can tell you for those, whether they support or against the Second Amendment, living in New York, if you wanted to get a gun, uh, it wasn't impossible, but it was pretty really? close to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's been the issue that these uh, two gun owners who decided to push forward with this case said, you know, there are those who are, whether they're lawmakers or celebrities or sports stars, whatever they are, those folks are usually either have their own security or they're able to get this particular concealed carry license that they need so they can protect themselves. And part of the argument was, why should everyday American citizens not have the same right to protect themselves if this is about self-defense and wanting to conceal carry? New York did permit other licensing that would allow you to transport guns for hunting and gun clubs and those kinds of things. Um, but when these two, and I believe one of them is actually a gun instructor, uh, came forward and said, listen, we are responsible law-abiding people who know how to handle guns safely. We have great respect for them. Why should we then be disadvantaged and that we can't carry a gun for our own protection? So uh, that was definitely a, a big part of the argument. In looking at the dissent, um, it goes exactly where you think it would. It begins with uh, statistics about shootings and deaths by gun in America and where that takes us. Um, but that seems to be the majority wholly apart from where they're going, 
uh, in the majority opinion, as I said, Justice Thomas has said um, in the past that he thought that the Second Amendment was being treated as a second class right. And for a long time, the court has not taken a gun case. And there has been a lot of pressure. A number of gun cases have bubbled up. And even in not taking the cases, Justice Thomas and others have said, the fact that we won't even address these, we're not treating this right like we do other constitutional rights. And it's time for us to take one of these cases and make one of these decisions. So here we are, six to three, uh, a very big decision. And it comes at a time when this country is really grappling with the debate um, with horrific, uh, you know, incidents in Buffalo, in Uvalde, and now a gun bill that is sitting there in the Senate and could get a vote today. I was just thinking about that vote today um, that could happen at any moment. In fact, Schumer, the senator, Senate uh, minority, majority leader, uh, does plan to call it up and there would be about 30 hours of debate. It could actually be voted on uh, finally uh, tomorrow. Andy, one thing I've noted here is that in the dissent, Justice Breyer refers to Uvalde and Buffalo. And apparently, I know you haven't had a chance to read 135 pages in the last three minutes, uh, but Justice Alito has a retort regarding Uvalde and Buffalo. So Buffalo, that seems like only feds op. And then Uvalde, which people were asking the wrong questions. Like I said, from day one, how did he get those guns? How did he get the credit? How did he drive? How did it happen? What's going on? Now they find out that the people were in the building with guns. They could have avoided it. And all of this is coming out. But then they're like, oh, nothing's wrong. But then the chief gets put on leave. It's the most insane thing. It almost seems like they got caught massacring people to make bills fly. I mean, that would be disgusting and horrific if that were the case right guys buffalo because, because and I'm, I'm assuming, assuming what, what that has, has to do with, with is the responsible gun owners who can legally carry a firearm that's what this case this specific supreme court case is about yeah i i think that's right and i think considering that part of the the, the dissent and picking up from what shannon just said about what you know statistics and uh, you know, bringing the, the fact pattern up to the modern day. Uh, I'm reminded of what uh, Justice uh, Scalia said in Heller, which is that, you know, look, we have this Second Amendment, which, which uh, protects a pre-existing right to have self-defense in the form of firearms that, were in that are in common use. Now, we could amend the Second Amendment. We could change it so that um, you know, it would allow Turn off. That are even beyond what's in common use, or we could amend it and take it out of the Constitution. But the court's obligation is to give effect to what the Second Amendment says as it was originally understood uh, when it was adopted. So all this stuff about, you know, modern circumstances and statistics and what, what I think the court is saying is fine. Amend the Constitution right. if you're not happy with the Second Amendment. Right. But our job is to give effect to what the Second Amendment says as it was understood when it was adopted. Okay, thanks well, all, all three, three of you for the quick reaction. There. So let's, let's uh, you know, amend the Constitution. Listen, when you go to the Supreme Court of the United States, they rule on the law that's at hand. I don't care how many shootings you organize, right? They're not supposed to be political. The end of story. They're not supposed to.
And not only that, you know how uh, everyone keeps saying that (laughs) having voter ID is racist. Well, you know, uh, the Supreme Court actually ruled today in uh, in in a case of that. The Supreme Court ruled eight to one. Obviously, Sotomayor was the dissent in the case, but um, the the Supreme Court ruled that the leaders of North Carolina's Republican legislature can step in to advocate for voter ID law in court that they believe that the state's Democratic attorney general isn't fighting hard enough to defend. So the AG of North Carolina is not doing his job to defend the Second Amendment. Now, the attorney general is the state's uh, lawyer, right? The attorney general is supposed to uh, defend cases to ensure that the rights of, you know, the states are upheld. Now, uh What's incredible is part of the opinion reads, and and listen to this, at the heart of this lawsuit lies a challenge to the constitutionality of a North Carolina election law. But the merits of that dispute are not before us. Only an an antecedent question of civil procedure. Are two leaders of North Carolina state legislator entitled to participate in the case under the terms of the federal rule of civil procedure? So the question was very specific. They weren't debating the election law. There was a very specific question to them. Can we step into the court and defend, uh, you know, the rights of, you know, voter ID law? And that's what it is. Within wide constitutional bounds, states are free to structure themselves as they wish. Often, they choose to conduct their affairs through a variety of branches, agencies, and elected and appointed officials. These constituent pieces sometimes work together to achieve goals. Other times, they reach very different judgments about important policy questions and act accordingly. This diffusion of governmental powers within and across institutions may be an everyday feature of American life. But it can also pose its difficulties when a state's laws or policies are challenged in federal court. That's huge because the Republican lawmakers who are claiming that A.G. Stein isn't defending the law from legal challenges that the NAACP brought um, and those that claim violates the Constitution and the Voting Rights Act because you're asking for them to prove who they are back in September. Last September, North Carolina three-judge panel blocked the state's photo voter ID law, ruling that it was motivated, at least in part, by an unconstitutional intent to target African-American voters. Who was that three-judge panel that played that bullshit political card when the law clearly states that you should be identified when you vote. Their law, SB 824, requires voters to present a photo ID in order to vote. So how is it that in, in, in a two-to-one two ruling, two Wake County Superior Court judges held that the law violates the state's constitution because it was adopted with a discriminatory purpose? What? Wait, what? How is it discriminatory to ask someone to provide identification to prove who they are to drop their vote? 
North Carolina's voter ID was enacted with the unconstitutional intent to discriminate against African-American voters, said the majority. Who are these Wake County Superior Court judges? Well, that's what you, the people of North Carolina, should be looking at. How do you remove judges that were appointed like that, that clearly play politics rather than talking about justice? This is where the people get together. This is where they can write complaints about the judge's behavior and bringing politics rather than reading the rule of law. And the fact that the Supreme Court brought this, uh, you know, judgment down reinforces your right to massively file complaints within the state of North Carolina. It takes you nothing to get on there, get that form, and as a constituent say, these two judges are not, uh, you know, executing justice blind, blindly or by the word of law. They're playing politics and they should be removed from that bench. This is what the people of North Carolina should do, not demand anything else, but to demand that, you know, what is the, what are those memes? You had one job. Well, their job is to read the law and rule based on the law. And nowhere in the law does it say that you don't have to represent yourself with an ID when you go and vote. It clearly says that it requires voters of voters to present photo ID. So how are they saying that the intent was there? Were they there when it was passed? Did they know how were all these people psychic knowing that the intent was African-American voters? Oh, it wasn't Chinese American. It wasn't Japanese American. It wasn't Hispanic Americans. It was black Americans, right? Those are the only African descent. Uh, That's why the law was passed that you had to present ID. See, this is a problem. And those two judges cited a study by Senator Van Dien that found at least 5.9% of registered voters lacked identification and that 9.6% of black voters lacked acceptable ID. And that's just compared to the 4.5% of registered white voters under the previous election bill. What? So we're talking about less than a tenth, which it's a 9.6 of the 59 that lacked voting. So 5.9% of the people, let's pretend that's 59 people, right? 9.6% of the, let's say 10%, right? Let's pretend that 5.9% of registered voters who lacked identification is a hundred people. Now they're saying 9.6 of black voters lacked acceptable ID. So that means 10 voters out of those 100 were black and therefore it's racist against them. Well, what about the other 90%? Ah, I see. See, people like to give all these percentages and stretch them 9.6. Like, oh, it's almost 10%. Like, let's round up. So they're saying that the law was discriminatory since a greater percentage of black voters live in poverty and black voters face hurdles to acquiring photo ID. How do they get benefits? How do they open up bank accounts? How do they go to school? I see. They don't need ID for that, right? Bullshit. So SB 824 requires that in in North Carolina that you have to present photo ID, including driver's license, military IDs, and other form of identification in order to vote. Keep in mind that if you're in states like North Dakota that didn't officially become a state till 2012, right? Because whatever, right? (laughs) They don't even allow military IDs. They consider that not valid identification. 
I was actually once turned away with my passport saying that's not valid identification. How's that possible? Well, you know, each state makes its own rules. So even people with proper identification can't use it sometimes. So, uh, you know, in, in, in general, North Carolinans right now should be removing these judges for playing politics and for reading numbers, not as intended. Well, no, reading numbers as they intended them to be. It's, um, it's pretty fascinating. If, if, if you ask me, it's pretty fascinating, but we do see that there's an endorsement of lawlessness going on, uh, at the Supreme Court, uh, homes. Now, even though they did find this uh, right wing uh, dude to play along, you know, uh, you know, John Rose actually slammed Biden and the DOJ for the protest at the homes of Scotus justices. Listen to this. Gentleman from Tennessee, Mr. Rose, Rose for, for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Almost 50 years ago, the Supreme Court incorrectly decided that the right to end an unborn child's life existed in the U.S. Constitution. On that day, the United States became one of only six countries that allow abortion on demand throughout the entirety of pregnancy, putting us in the same category as communist China and North Korea. Now, almost 50 years later, we might be on the precipice of the court correcting their egregious mistake. Unfortunately, due to the actions of a rogue actor, we no long, we have, with no regard for the laws or institutions of our country, justices must withstand attempts to dissuade them from changing that ruling. Inexcusably, those attempts to intimidate the high court's opinion have even turned violent. In fact, since that rogue actor, who I believe broke the law and should be held accountable to the full extent of the law, leaked Justice Alito's draft opinion on Dobbs v. Jackson, a fence had to be constructed outside the court to prevent attempts from left-wing agitators to burn it down, quote-unquote. There was also a, report attempt, a reported attempt to assassinate Justice Kavanaugh, which was thankfully foiled by our brave law enforcement officers. As we are all surely aware, anti-life demonstrators have held protests for weeks outside the homes of Justice Clarence Thomas, Amy Coney Barrett, and Brett Kavanaugh, which is a direct violation of, US, of 18 U.S. Code Section 1507. Instead of breaking up these illegal demonstrations and putting an end to the intimidation and mob rule so prevalent on the left these days, President Biden's Justice Department has allowed them to proceed unabated. This, in my mind, sounds like an endorsement of lawlessness, or at least a two-tiered justice system. This administration doesn't seem interested in enforcing laws, uh, in enforcing laws that aren't politically expedient, whether it's at the southern border or elsewhere. Mr. Speaker, it's no secret. I am 100% pro-life. I signed an amicus brief in support of overturning Roe v. Wade, and I remain hopeful that the Supreme Court will indeed finally overturn it. The number of lives lost since Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided is truly unfathomable. Countless lives have been lost that will never be granted the privilege to walk on God's earth with those listening to this speech today. For years, we have prayed. And finally, those prayers may potentially be answered. If so, that does not mean our work is done. 
While the power to legislate with regard to abortion policy will be returned to the legislative bodies where our founders intended such power to reside, much work remains at every level of government, state, local, and federal, to ensure progressives don't pass legislation that provides for taxpayer-funded abortions, something that polls show 58% of Americans do not support. I promise to work day in and day out to ensure that every child is guaranteed the same right to life we all enjoy today. I will be a voice for the voiceless throughout the remaining time that I have in Congress and even well after, much like my time before I arrived here in Washington. Because after all, if there is no life, there is no liberty or pursuit of happiness. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I yield back. So (laughs) they're pushing all of these extremists to advocate and attack anybody and anyone that is against whatever policies they want. And think about it. Their policies are based on killing babies and making sure that the public isn't armed against the government when they come in. They've even stayed. They got caught in Buffalo and you'll, you'll see they got caught. They got caught. I mean, they should have got caught with San Bernardino. That was like literally a dummy going into a garbage bin. I urge you guys to see that footage again. You could literally see that that was a dummy going into a garbage bin. But um, I thought that there wasn't going to be a January 6th uh, committee, but the fifth public hearing is on today. So I guess right after the show, that'll be on and I'll stream that too. Here is uh, um, what... uh, the Second Amendment caucus uh, had to say about the gun control bill that is uh, trying to be pushed. But our caucus it is also actively working to secure the people's Second Amendment rights. Audio is really bad. It's theirs, not mine. I'll address that more in a moment. But um, since Biden's election, Democrats have failed on every level. There's literally Thank you, Lauren, for organizing this press conference. When we organized this, it was going to be about Andrew Clyde's bill. We did not anticipate that we we would be playing defense against Republican senators um, um, preserving the Second Amendment. And I'll save my comments on that bill coming from the Senate. The United States Supreme Court declared the Second Amendment to be an individual constitutional right. How can you tax it? You cannot tax an individual constitutional in the language of this bill, they can turn it any way around, anyone with a relationship. It's, it's very wide open. Another thing they're giving, Senate Republicans and Democrats together, Mitch McConnell, by the way, is giving an unlimited amount of funds to Medicare. It literally has a blank line. There are no numbers there, ladies and gentlemen. It is a blank check to Medicare in the Senate gun control bill. How is that going to stop or change anything? It's not going to. You know what else they're doing? They're giving $100 million to the FBI. Who are they going to be pursuing? Parents that are trying to hold their school boards accountable. I don't think they'll be pursuing the people protesting and harassing. Their audio is really bad, but what she's pointing out that in this gun control bill, they have a blank check to Medicare. Uh, we'll circle right back to that, which, you know, why would you give an, a, a carte blanche to Medicare when you're talking guns? And then they're willing to fund the FBI a hundred, you know, billion dollars, right? hundred billion, right? A million billion dollars to do what? Create a new database, 
hunt people down with guns, be able to regulate it. You can't tax ammo. You're not supposed to. Can't tax things that are innate rights. So what are they trying to do here? And why are the Senate Republicans again coming back? And we're going to discuss this after this. You know, what what is going on with the Republican Party? They're not real. The, the the Republican Party is not the OG of this republic, and I'm going to um, point that out to you guys today. Uh, you'll 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 see what I mean, and this is why when I was brought to the carpet, I guess when I filed my my signatures to get on the ballot as Secretary of State as an independent, I didn't choose a party, even though I could have. I didn't because there was only one party of this Republic. And, um, and that's, what's important. You know, we're not going to be able to hear this. Their audio is so bad. I think it's almost done intentionally. Let's get into understanding, uh, what the differences are, um, in these party. Um, let me see where it is. Is it that one? Let's see. Okay. So let me just introduce you to the concept first, who the real, because they were Democrat Republicans versus the real OGs Federalists. In 1800, the United States was just 11 years old. The federal government was still a fragile work in progress. The 16 states were united, but Americans were often bitterly divided. One partisan crisis after another threatened America's experiment in democracy. George Washington himself feared the bickering would tear the federal machine asunder. This tense environment gave rise to two opposing political factions, the Federalists and the Republicans, who were also known as the Democratic Republicans. Democratic Republicans. So basically, the Federalists were extinguished and the Democratic Republicans became the Democrat and Republican Party. Do you see how they're the same party? There was no flip. There was an eradication of Federalists. This is real history. The Democratic Republicans were the Democrats and the Republicans. You see, they've always been that one side. I, mean, I, I hope this shows you why we're in this mess. There's no giving rise to a new party. It's resurrecting the original one. Each party had its own vision for America's future. The Federalists were the party of Alexander Hamilton and John Adams. They championed a strong central government and central bank, a protective trade tariff, and a powerful navy. The Federalists aimed to create a stable and secure country that was safe for business and wealthy property owners. Their main support came from the shippers and merchants of New York and New England. Federalists believed in a loose interpretation of the Constitution. The first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Jay, enunciated the Federalist belief that those who own the country ought to govern it. On the other side of the debate, 
Thomas Jefferson and James Madison led the opposition Republicans. Their party favored a weak federal government to preserve states' rights, state banks over a national bank, and a minimal navy, primarily for coastal defense. They promoted the extension of democracy to farmers, craftsmen, and other so-called ordinary people, and drew their strongest support from the agrarian and frontier states. Republicans believed in a strict interpretation of the Constitution. To Jefferson and other Republicans, the New England Federalists were no better than the old English monarchy. The distrust and hostility between the two parties was intense. In 1800, Thomas Jefferson and President John Adams faced off in one of the nastiest presidential contests in American history. The campaign descended to a level of personal innuendo and character attacks that was stunning. Each party was utterly convinced that victory for the other would result in the certain demise of their country. In the end, Jefferson prevailed by the slimmest of margins. The triumphant candidate called his election the Revolution of 1800. Not because blood was shed, but because it was not. The event marked the first peaceful transfer of authority from one political party to another, a precedent that is followed and admired to the present day. I don't know, man. I think uh, John Jay is admired more than anything. But wait, there's more. Let's look at this history teacher. We should always look at the ones that went through, uh, you know, Teach America. It's quite important. Oops. The emergence of the... Hi, welcome to class today. Today we're going to be going over, over the emergence of the first two political parties, the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans. By the end of the video, there are going to be three questions you'll need to be able to answer. So let's get started. While you're watching the video today, if you have any questions, do not hesitate to leave them in the comments below. I'll get back to you as soon as possible. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you can be notified about more history videos coming your way. At the end of the video, you'll need to be able to tell me, one, why did political parties emerge in the United States? Two, what did the Federalists believe? And three, what did the Democratic Republicans believe? A political party is a group of people with similar political goals and opinions. In general, political parties emerge when two or more groups of people have opposing views of government and both want to gain power. To understand why the first two political parties were founded in the United States, we need to go all the way back to Washington's presidency. When he became president, Washington made sure to fill his cabinet with people who had different opinions so he could make more informed decisions as president. The two most outspoken members of Washington's cabinet were Thomas Jefferson, his Secretary of State, and Alexander Hamilton, his Secretary of the Treasury. Jefferson and Hamilton disagreed on 
almost everything. And their debates became the foundation for the first two political parties' ideologies. Washington warned that political parties agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms, kindles the animosity of one part against another, ferments occasional riots and insurrection. It opens the door to foreign influence and corruption, which finds a facilitated access to the government itself through channels of party passions. In other words, Washington warned that political parties would lead to divisions and fighting among the people. This, he feared, could lead to foreign influence in the government and other forms of corruption. Despite Washington's warnings, the first two political parties emerged from the debates within his own cabinet and have since become prominent forces in American politics. Alexander Hamilton is considered the founder of the Federalist Party, and John Adams emerged as another party leader. The Federalists favored a strong federal government and a loose construction of the Constitution. This means they believed the Constitution should be interpreted broadly. The government could do more than just was written in the Constitution. They used the necessary and proper clause in Article 1 to defend their reasoning. Remember, Hamilton used this argument when he defended the creation of the Bank of the United States. The Federalists supported the growth of businesses, and they advocated for a protective tariff. This protected American industry by making foreign imports more expensive than American-made goods. Finally, they supported alliances with Great Britain, and their policies tended to support the wealthy. Federalists found most of their support in the northern states. Thomas Jefferson, Hamilton's enemy from Washington's cabinet, is considered the founder of the Democratic-Republican Party, and James Madison became another early party leader. Unlike Federalists, the Democratic-Republicans favored strong state governments over a strong national government. They believed the powers of the federal government should be limited to only what was explicitly stated in the Constitution, which is known as a strict construction of the Constitution. Democratic Republicans believed governing should happen at a more local level, since they could deal with the state's concerns more effectively. Because of this, they supported state banks instead of a national bank. Additionally, Democratic Republicans supported free trade with Europe and wanted an alliance with France after their support in the American Revolution. Their policies tended to support agriculture and the everyman. Jefferson believed being a yeoman farmer, also known as a small farmer, was the American ideal. Because of this, most of their support came from the southern states. Over time, these political parties would evolve, disappear, and new parties would emerge. Political parties have become driving forces in American politics. Do you agree with Washington's warning about political parties? Or do you think political parties are a necessary part of our American democracy? I look forward to hearing your thoughts, and I will will see see you you in class. Well, well, well. Federalists were versus the Democratic Republicans. Federalists were phased out. Now we have the Democratic and the Republican. Do you see how that works? See, there were a lot of infighting issues right there. And George Washington had the great idea, which it is the great idea, to have a panel of people 
that are all different, that think different because that's how you find solutions. And like he said, political parties tend to bring out a siding with this, siding with that. But then on the other hand, how do you have discourse if you don't have it? But he, he, I would say, showcased what the risks are to come of it. And we see it today. People are fanatic about their parties. And that's the problem. That people are unwilling to let go of the DNC or the GOP because in their mind, they believe that that is the ultimate. It's like going to a West Ham game. If you've never been to a soccer game in England, then you probably won't understand it. But these people beat each other up if the other team loses. They will slaughter each other because some guy kicking a football lost it. Right. It's the most insane things like in the United States, uh, you know, rival teams are the most proper. They do waves. They have foam fingers overseas. You know, they throw things. I remember um, once one summer when I was in Greece, I was a young teenager. Maybe I was like 12 or 13 and a bunch of my friends were going to a soccer game and I went with them. And when I turned up, I was wearing, you know, it's hot. I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And they were like, no, you can't go like that. We're going into uh, the covered area. I was like, what does that mean? That's where the hardcore fans are. You can't go like that. Uh, You know, girls can't go like that. You need to wear something that, you know, doesn't make you look at the very, at all attractive. So I put on um, a pair of sweatpants over my shorts, um, my cousin's t-shirt, and then another t-shirt and then the jersey for the team in there they're calling it the covered area there's it's like a cage because the p the fans in there will start throwing crap out into the field this is how they fight this is how you create a you know division by creating teams oh that's my team they should win punch in the face you know This is exactly it. There's no discourse. There's just fighting. And this is where we are at. If you take a step back, this is exactly how it is. But the, but the, but the, but the funny part is, is that the Republicans are literally shaking hands with the Democrats. It's like, you know, you're, you're cheering on an MMA fighter and they've done some backdoor deal where the other guy will drop down while you're supporting him. You know, they've made a deal. And this causes you to have these tribal instincts by creating, you know, two parties. The two party system is this polarization. Why can't we have a million parties if we want to? Or why do we have any parties? We're the owners of this country. We say what goes. We should all be able to come to the table and we should all be able to have proper representation. Because if in fact we had proper representation, speaking to my state, if every, if everybody in the state of Ohio was represented appropriately, there would be multiple views and aspects and push of specific laws that were uh, in their interests. You know, the farming community may, you know, want to lobby for, you know, I don't know, uh, maybe, you know, no tax on, uh, I don't know, specific combines because they make, you know, they contribute 25% of their food to the state, to distribute. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. I'm just saying there's going to be a lot more on the table to discuss. Uh, people that are in more urban areas, uh, you know, may lobby for XYZ streets to be made better, but there's no proper representation. Therefore, it goes into the hands of the few that decide. Now, this proper representation 
um, is, is an issue for all of us. Because if we actually look into the laws, we are not appropriately represented. And that means that they can be bought. Why do we have only so many people in Congress and so many people in Senate when there should be a ton more? Because there's a ton more of us. I don't see how one senator or one congressman can represent, you know, 1.2 million people. That's completely impossible because they can't read 1.2 million people's emails, let alone meet with their constituents and understand what they want. They hire people with your tax dollars to look through trends and say, okay, a lot of people say this, but you know, Mary Kay down the corner may have a better thing on the table, but no one's going to listen to her because she's not the popular, you know, statement maker, whatever. Not a lot of people are saying what she's saying or in the way she's saying it. So proper representation is the reason we are having this issue. And I've, I've talked about this before, I think over a year ago, maybe two, where we need to start having proper representation because in essence, you know, in, in, in my state, there should be, you know, at least, you know, 15 to 17, uh, you know, congressmen and women representing because that's how much the population sees fit in California. I don't see how Schiff can represent millions of people. He hasn't talked to any of them. Doesn't even campaign. What about Pelosi? Does she talk to anyone? No. The only time that they will respond to a constituent is if it's something that will help them get points on TV or be heard or get them some type of notoriety. That's the problem that we have. We do not have appropriate representation. This should be and will be rectified in the future because this is how you fix things. Corporations can't pay off 10,000 representatives, right? Corporations can't pay off 10,000 senators. That's the way it is. They won't be able to pay them all off. Now it's easy. It's just a few of them. Just a few of them. Think like a state of North Dakota that only has two senators and one congressman. Those three people bought can change the face of the whole freaking state. And also aid in changing the face of our nation. This is a problem we have. How is it that one congressman represents the whole state when its size is so massive? It has one of the most important Air Force defense bases there. It feeds and fuels America. And yet they only have one person representing them. You see, that's a problem. Look at Alaska. How many representatives do they have? Look how big they are. Look how much they contribute to our nation's economy and how small their voice is. That is the issue. The more we focus on being properly represented, and which is something that we're going to be doing starting 2024, this is why it's important. One, you make sure that the people, if we have elections in 2022, uh, done so on paper, and we'll see why we're saying this. Because <laughs> you see how they come for you. Um, we need to make sure that they gut Obamacare down to the very last period on that document. And two, you need to start making laws of impeachment and recalls within your state to be easier than getting tens of thousands of signatures. 
maybe we can create a uh, public hearing if there's one or more citizens that want to, I don't know, recall Schumer, for example, that there should be uh, uh, hearings being held within the state of New York where people will be able to advocate their ideas as to why they want to remove this person. Because, you know, they might be pissed off at the person, right? There might be 10 people. You can't just remove them that easily because 10 people are nuts. But when you have a debate and then you get more people and then you get evidence, you should be able to have fair trial by peers that cycle. There's just an idea to impeach and or remove people like judges and senators and congressmen, both on a state and federal level. You should be able to do that. Your governors, your secretary of state, your AGs, if they're not serving you, they need to be out. And there should be uh, a, an avenue enable, enabling the people to be able to do this. It's quite important that we get that done because we do not have representation. At all. At all. It's, it's the most uh, important thing we need at the time, which is that to have proper representation. Because when you actually do have proper representation in a time like this, they will come after you like nobody's business. They will make sure that they can, uh, you know, remove you with whatever lie or whatever thing they want. So we were very excited about seeing New Mexico and the county throwing out all the machines because they can. They can. They can throw them out because the people want it and that's the way it's going to be. But they won't let them. So I'm going to remind you a little bit of history. When these machines were rolled out in 2005 after they were created by a specific division within the DOD, the Department of Justice under Bush and Obama sued states, counties, and cities that would not embrace them and use the machines. Why would the federal government impose, this is where people were asleep, impose the use of electronic voting as a mandate and suing them if they do not? Ask yourself, who is really in control of your elections just by that, just by seeing this? You better use these machines. Well, I don't want to. Department of Justice says you better because I'm suing you and I'm taking you to court. What court said, okay, force them to use the machines and why? So again, who's in charge of your elections, right? Starting to be a lot more clearer now, right? Well, look at this person who sought to get rid of the machines, what they're saying and what they're doing to him. And our politics lead today, a New Mexico County official convicted of trespassing during the January 6th insurrection is now refusing to certify election results from the state's 2022 primary last week. Commissioner Coy Griffin and the other two members of the Otero County Commission are claiming without evidence, of course, that Dominion voting machines cannot be trusted. They are echoing former President Trump's conspiracy theories since disproven about the 2020 election. Let's discuss with CNN's Drew Griffin. Drew, first of all, this is just... Nuts. But New Mexico's Secretary of State says the county commissioners are breaking state election laws by refusing to certify the results based on these lies. So what happens now? Well, these three commissioners have until, I guess, end of business today to certify that June 7th primary in their county or face legal action from their own state. And Jake, it shows you just how far these conspiracy believing elected officials are. 
wait a minute, they have to certify, but they don't want to. So isn't that giving their results of certification? Their state is going to sue them for not wanting to certify the elections. Get out of here. Get out of here. Willing to go to now manipulate elections in this country. There's no evidence of any fraud in that primary election. But these three commissioners, all Republicans, say they believe their own counties. Dominion voting machines can't be trusted. Part of that completely debunked conspiracy first pushed by Donald Trump's disgraced attorneys explaining his loss in 2020. And as we heard in the January 6th hearings this week, Jake, even Trump's own attorneys found no issues with the machines or the votes. But Coy Griffin doesn't seem to care much about the facts. I interviewed him at length last year. He simply refuses to accept the truth. The New Mexico Supreme Court ordered Coy and these two commissioners to certify this election, but unclear what the punishment could be if they do refuse. Griffin says he doesn't doesn't matter to him. He will not certify. If they want to throw me in jail, if they want to criminally charge me with the felony, I would rather go down with dignity and honor making a sacrifice for the good of my country than try to save myself in this. It's a war right now, I feel like. It's just like a battle. And whenever you're in a battle and you're engaged, you take it to the end, no matter what the personal ramifications may be. To quote former Vice President Pence, that's rubber room stuff. Um, Drew, Coy Griffin was arrested and put in jail after January 6th. He was charged with trespassing at the Capitol. He was sentenced today after being convicted on that charge. So what happened there? There was some speculation he could get up to a year in prison because he has refused to accept responsibility. He did make the government go to trial uh, and he hasn't had any remorse for his involvement, but he only trespassed on the grounds of the Capitol, uh, basically convicting himself by posting that video right there, showing him trespassing. He wasn't violent at the rally. And today, a federal judge sentenced him to time served the nearly three weeks he's already spent behind bars for that, uh, along with a year's probation and $3,000 fine. Jake, knowing him, he'll no doubt wear this like a a badge of honor. It is a badge of honor to go up against the fourth unelected branch against a very well-oiled machine and put them in their place. It's, uh, it is a badge of honor. Meantime, I did say, you know, uh, Thursday, this week was going to be hot. I said it was, uh, and it's not because of things that should be happening. Um, I'm really slow in getting things done. I will try and put some, you know, time into it because my lawyer's so distracted. Um, I really need him to file this quickly, but this is happening nation been down there at this press conference this morning man yeah big news coming out of georgia steve brad raffensperger's race and the results for the primary here are going to be challenged in all 159 counties now this comes because there was an audit done in cobb county a vining cityhood race right a monitor team counted the the secretary of state's results and found that the machine had actually added uh, over 15 percent of the vote to his totals in this one County. Now, this comes after a Democrat running for uh, commissioner in DeKalb County District 2. She noticed that in her precinct, her and her husband's votes weren't counted when she noticed that it said that she had zero in her own precinct. Right. So they did a recount there, Steve, and found that in the Democrat primary race, the machine was off there almost 3000 votes. So now you have two recounts in Georgia, different counties, different races, different political parties showing that these machines were off. 
Heather, hang on. We're going to hold you. You mean I was right? You mean the machine does fractionalize votes because it has a frog cipher? You mean that I was right? That they created the ballots, right? They created the ballots and all those mules because they couldn't do it predetermined. They needed to see how many came out. They needed the data to be crunched. This is why they paused it. Same shit we did in Ukraine. And this is how you manufacture evidence to say, see, look, paper ballots, look. (laughs) But you can't look closely because we're in charge here in Pennsylvania. Mind your business. You stand there. We're going to be, see, look at from afar. Look at all those papers. Those are real, right? So, So I was right, right? That statistically, the machines are, you know, huh? I was right. Oh, shit. I was also right that certifications were not in place. I was also right that the certification means nothing but toilet paper, because if you read the certification, it clearly says we're not held responsible. We're not really certifying. We're just certifying, but our certification actually means nothing. You need to read up on the EAC just so that you can see how they passed a law in 2002 to make everyone think, oh, we're going to fix this. Don't worry. It's going to be totally fine. Then they got caught cheating, sold the machines to dictator nations to train the machines and said, Hey, look, dictator, you're going to stay in power and we're going to be tweaking this algorithm. You're going to look like you're the winner. It's going to look fair, but you're always going to be winning. Don't worry about it. Let us train that software here. Thanks. And in the meantime, we're going to be deploying it in other places and getting it done. Oh, I see. So you mean now Georgia is coming up, right? Damn. What happened? What's going on? I mean, how, how, how are we not getting to the bottom of this? Why are we still looking at, you know, things like that? You know, a lot of people are giving you theories about the Las Vegas shooting. We should talk about that because it's not what they're telling you. Uh-huh. It's not the, some stories that are going around, uh-huh. but we still don't know who did the Vegas shooting because there were a lot of shooters and any witness that was shot or there that said there were a lot of shooters also died, which was really weird or disappeared or suddenly they're not talking to anyone. We haven't found that. We don't know what happened down in Texas Uh, in Buffalo. Everyone's keeping their mouth shut. They're just referring Buffalo situation, but you know, only feds, you know how that works. And I have to say, thank you to the person within Homeland security that allowed that blatant error of zero to come up so that the Democrats challenge it. See, this is the one way you can fix things is by getting the other side to want to fight with you. It would be extremely genius to make sure that in a race, someone who knew they dropped the vote didn't get one, especially if it's the one that's running. Because guess what? Then they have standing. So weird. So bizarre. So bizarre. But now everyone's going after these fake elector slots. What does that mean? Because it's really weird because the AFL-CIO document pretty much said that they had already picked and paid for the electors. Which, by the way, seems like that's going to be coming to the forefront. Uh, Not soon. A lot of heads are going to roll for this. But listen to this report, what CNN is saying about Senator Ron Johnson's controversies. Questions about fake electors. Here's Majority Leader Mitch Connell responding to news that Senator Ron Johnson, chief of staff, tried to hand off an alternative slate of electors to Mike Pence. 
I think you ought to ask Senator Johnson about that. I've been focusing on what we do here in the Senate. Of course, Johnson has been asked, and he's saying, well, nothing to see here. Sarah Murray is out front. There's no conspiracy here. This this is a complete non-story, guys. When it comes to Senator Ron Johnson's apparent involvement in helping Donald Trump's allies try to put forward fake slates of electors. Some staff intern, you know, said we got to, you know, the vice president needs this or whatever. You know, I, I wasn't involved. The Wisconsin Republican says there's nothing to see here. We got handed an envelope that was supposed to go to the vice president. He didn't want it. We didn't deliver it. It's a story, guys. This is such a non-story. Johnson's office says he didn't create fake elector slates from Michigan and Wisconsin, and he didn't deliver them. But ahead of January 6th, he did embrace delaying the election certification. What we're saying is let's delay uh, accepting a particular state's uh, electors until we actually investigate what the issues are in that particular state. Johnson's actions undermining the 2020 election among the many controversies he's waded into. Now being used as firepower by Democratic opponents as Johnson runs for a third term. After the January 6th insurrection, Johnson condemned those who committed crimes, but said he would have been more fearful if he'd faced Black Lives Matter protesters. I knew those are people that love this country, that uh, truly respect law enforcement, would never do anything to, to break a law. And so I wasn't concerned. Now, had the tables been turned, and President Trump won the election, and those were tens of thousands of Black Lives Matter and Antifa protesters, I might have been a little concerned. While many viewed the remark as racist, Johnson has said that wasn't his intent. The senator often casts his controversial remarks on any number of issues as him merely asking questions. But he's made... It's racist? Racist? Do you guys remember Black Lives Matter losers harassing people sitting outside eating? twerking in their faces, punching old people, right? Or what about the crazy abortionists that were encircling an 80, 80, 90-year-old man and knocking him off his feet, giving him a death sentence with a hip fracture because they should be able to kill babies? You, You think that they're scared of people that want to defend and support the Constitution of the United States as opposed to those crazies? No. Those crazies are loose cannons. They're the ones that are oppressed. This is why they raid Louis Vuitton for Louis Vuitton bread and Chanel milk, right? Because they're oppressed. This is why they steal TVs because they're oppressed. This is why they break down doors because they're oppressed. This is why they burn down churches and, and, and justice institutions because they're oppressed. It wasn't racist. It was a real factual statement. And the BLM organization has nothing to do with the actual disparities that do belong and are existent in certain areas within our United States against people, right, that are of a different color, different race, different culture. This happens all the time. You just need to go down to like Arkansas or the sticks of Arkansas. I'm being dead serious. And not only that, what about outsiders? I kid you not. This happens. It doesn't matter what color you are. If you're not from their town, you don't belong there. You're an outsider. You're not part of our state or our city. No, Tori, that's dumb. Oh, no, it isn't. I've had that said to me in other states. Yeah, you're not from this state. You should keep your mouth shut. We've been here. It's our home, right? So, you know, there is merit to discrimination in certain areas, And that's because it's uneducated, undereducated, 
and just, you know, angry at their own lives. People that act like that, people that are not angry about living are not angry about, you know, (laughs) their environment or their predicament and aren't blaming other people have absolutely no problem with anyone. I'm just saying, see, he was right. If BLM and those organizations were the ones outside of the Capitol, that bitch would have burned. There would have been fires everywhere. There would have been cars exploded. There would have been, they'd have pile of bricks everywhere. Wait till the Supreme Court thing comes out. See how boomerangs work. And I know many are like, oh my God, you trust Christopher Ray? You watch how this pans out. Oh my gosh, you trust, watch how it pans out. Those of you that were not paying attention are now starting to see things. The people are starting to realize that a lot of people were talking about truth. A lot of people were talking about pro-Trump. A lot of people. And now suddenly, he didn't do anything. I'm so fed up. He's a liar. He's part of this. I have said that, and you still continue to look at them. Remember when, um, oh, there's conversations on stereo. Let's take Bergie, for example. I told you he was anti-Trump. I told you he was anti-anything. No, 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 no. And all those people went and followed him. These uh, Heathers, weird single moms that are just, nuts, you know, for some reason they find solace in Bergie. He's totally against President Trump. He's been working with the Obama administration for money. He's clearly lying on all levels. And no matter how many times I would say it, people would be like, no, he's he's a defender of the American people. And, uh, you know, he's a whistleblower. No, I know a lot of people that are retired veterans. I know a lot of people that are active duty that are complete freaking corrupt scumbags. Let's not forget that Peter Strzok has served at the as a reservist for 20 years. Well, in name only, but still, right? General Milley, other people that have betrayed. Let's talk. Mad Dog Mattis. Hmm? Let's talk about that. What about General Kelly? Can we start talking about, uh, I, I serve. No, nobody gives a shit. So have they. And where has that led them, right? That is it. The lawfare that the people have brought to the table is to hold accountable the judicial branch. This is the only way you win by constantly pushing them for questions and answers. To answer the questions you have and then pose more questions. And see, this is what's important. You can see from the little nuances when when someone tells you who they are, believe them. When they tell you they're a piece of shit, believe them. It was four years ago, three years ago, shoot, where I said Crenshaw will betray every single American. Oh, he's a veteran. And I was like, dude, he just put on like this production for his thing, jumping out of a plane, utilizing the fact, hey, look, I served. You need to give me honor. No, honor is earned. Respect is earned right? Just because you did something doesn't mean shit. And I've posed this question before. Someone can be a hero on the battlefield and be a piece of shit back home, right? You can have someone out in the battlefield that will save, you know, four of his, you know, battle buddies, but back home, he's beating his wife, raping his kids, right? Does that make him a hero? Hmm? I'm asking you that question. Does that make him a hero? You see, that's the thing. 
People like to side with teams. It's this versus this, this versus this. It is earned. The respect of the people and the support of the people is earned. Now, President Trump, there's a lot of people that voted for him that don't like him. They don't like his stance. They don't like how he tweets. They don't like what he says. They don't like how he says it. There's a lot of people that don't. But what you don't seem to understand uh, to a lot of people, not most of you, but a lot, (laughs) is that it's what he represents. He represents the non-establishment coming in with a freaking huge wrecking ball, a bull in a China cabinet that has no sense of structure within their tiny tower of cards that he just blows on and they fall. He represents the people, regardless of if you like him or not. He does. He represents shattering the status quo the in the club. I'm going to come back to personal experience rather than draw from others. I was invited to a GOP event. It was pushed back. I was supposed to be there today, right? Today, I was supposed to be there. They then said, oh, she's not endorsed by the GOP, so we can't have her. But they're lying to everyone, saying that there was a scheduling conflict, and that's why I couldn't go. See, this is how they work. They don't want to tell people we are the good old boy club. We are the status quo. And therefore, you must bend the knee and we must endorse you or else. This is what Trump represents. Anyone telling you, well, he did this and I listened to this and so and so said this and da 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 da. It's like, excuse me, (laughs) you obviously don't see who President Trump is. And that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to like him because like I told that Indian lady, mean tweets and all, you felt safer, you had money in your pocket, and you could drive your damn vehicle. Touche. Because leaders aren't supposed to be liked by everyone. They're supposed to be effective. People that actually make change aren't supposed to be liked by everyone because, you know, change is like brie cheese. You either like it or you don't. There are people that can't do change. They can't change their apartments because they don't like that disruption. They don't change, you know, the the types of clothes they wear because they don't like change, right? Change is uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable conversation you have on that level for that, where we're having one of the biggest and most uncomfortable conversations right now. I'm trying to demonstrate to you how the Uniparty has come to rise over the years. And I was always in your face. The Democratic Republicans, the Federalists are out, and it's only that party that split into two. You see how that works? They work hand in hand. And and, and the thing is, as we start to break down the lies that are being pushed forward, you're starting to see the core of it. You're starting to see how tribal everyone is, even even these memers and complainers and how they know, oh, I know who 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 is and and, and I know that this person is corrupt and I know that, you know, they were, you know, council of foreign relations and I know it doesn't matter. Yes, they could be corrupt. They could be all about themselves. They could be everything you say. So does it help you pointing that out or using that knowledge to facilitate your ends? Think about that for a second. The only way you make change is to embrace every single variable. In a math problem that you have, 
In order to change the outcome you get, you have to shift variables. So you have to embrace all the variables in that equation and see which variable you can change in order to get the outcome you want. It's pretty simple. It's one plus two is three. One times X plus two is three. You know that it's always going to be three if X is one. So what if you embrace X and you say, well, X, I don't want you to be one. I want you to be a four. So suddenly it's four plus two is now six. The same equation has just changed and given you a different number. You need to embrace all the variables, keeping objectivity while doing it because your tribalism is what's killing you. Every single American out there is being smothered by their tribal. Well, I listen to this person and I do that. And yeah, I'm all for the Republican GOP all the way and red wave and nin, nin, nin. follow me, train this, train that bullshit. You're becoming tribal. And tribalism is why we're here today. Tribalism. Tribalism is what gets you all excited to, to, to run into the Capitol. Tribalism 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 it's it's an innate quality that human beings have because their ultimate goal for some reason on the evil side is always power it's never dominance of yourself it's dominance on other individuals imagine if you gave as much focus to yourself to dominate you into what you are to do to give yourself the discipline of you want of what you want rather than superimposing that on somebody else see power it's all about power and the power that you give them. You know, I see some people, well, obviously most of them are bots, right? And CNN made that clear too. But I see some people that have followings and I'm like, why are people following them? They're not helping them. Oh, I just follow to watch. Well, then you're giving them power. You can skim onto their page and creep around and see what they're up to without subscribing to them, without, you know, following them, without supporting them, you can still creep in there. Because in the end, they'll have to creep right back out of that hole that they put them in. Keep that in mind. The facade is falling and it's, it's game over. In regards to these fake electors plot, <laughs> AFL-CIO is way ahead on this one. So I'm not understanding why people aren't getting that. In the meantime, as they're doing this, they're also trying to change, uh, you know, the way things are done. Uh, in general, the way things are done are being shifted. Well, let's take a quick break and I will be right back after this musical interlude. The talent is just immense to think that human beings can create such amazing things. But sometimes you need a wrecking ball to just tear it all down and bring it back up. So let's enjoy this musical interlude during this uh, 
During this short break, I'm still trying to make coffee. I came in like a wrecking ball. I'll never hit so hard enough. All I wanted was to break your walls. All you ever did was wreck at me. Yeah, you, you wrecked at me. I put you high up in the sky and now you're not coming down. It slowly turned, you let me burn and now we're ashes on the ground. So wrecking balls, right? And that's exactly what President Donald Trump uh, demonstrated with his election. He took a wrecking ball, but you know, it's important to understand how wrecking balls work. Thank you. Is that better? So wrecking balls um, are ideal to explain to you how governments can be toppled. Basically, you, the people are at the bottom. We created this amazing nation. And suddenly the second row was created, which is creating the uh, Democrat Republican Party versus the Federalists. Rather than working together, they opposed each other and created the polarization to the point that they eradicated the Federalists due to racism, right? And being too nationalist, right? So they all diluted and they said, now what? We like this polarizing structure. This is how we got these fuckers out. And now we're in control of this nation. All right, so we'll pretend we're still the Federalists and you are the bad guys. And this is how we're going to do it very discreetly. People are stupid. They won't get it. But what it is, is at the foundation of everything are indeed the people. Like in the video now that you see of a car getting wrecked, the tires are still there, the base of the car is still there. The top of it, though, is crushed because it's not as strong as the base, always. The base is never as strong as the highest floor, right? The, the, the highest floor, sorry, is not as strong as the base. Oops, I said that backwards. So, for example, you could be a manager in a company, but if, you're, if your workforce is shit, you look like a shit manager and you get toppled. So, right now, the people that are the base are allowing wrecking balls to come through and tear down the taller structures. This is how it is. So, when I say he came in like a wrecking ball, I literally mean that. He came in and he's toppling everything they thought they created, everything they thought they created. And, and the reason I say this is because it's important to understand why President Trump endorsed all these people and people are like, he's so out of touch. Why is he doing that? Because of things like this. They want to take down this wrecking ball. They want to tell the people, no, 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 no. The people like people like this, you know, they don't want President Trump. President Trump is not important. We need people like, you know, I don't know, DeSantis or General Flynn to run because nobody wants Trump. See, this is why he's flexing. How do you destroy a tank from within? from New Hampshire has, has Florida Governor Ron DeSantis ever so slightly ahead of former President Donald Trump among Republican primary voters in a matchup there. 39% for DeSantis, 37% for Trump. That same poll just months ago showed Trump leading with 43%, DeSantis at 18%. Back now with CNN anchor Chris Wallace. Chris, you know, Frank Luntz told Caitlin earlier today he sees this as a possible sign that Republican voters want to move on maybe from Trump. 
Yeah, and I think, John, that that could very possibly be the biggest impact of these hearings, that it just adds to Trump fatigue. They, they Indeed. The Republican Party does want to move on from President Trump because he's destroyed their party. He's destroyed the facade. And like Tarzan said, they're fatigued. People like McConnell. You're ruining something that's been working like we're the GOP. Like, stop it. Trump is destroying our GOP. You need to stop. Only endorse people. Whoever listens to us. That's it. You see, they're telling you exactly it. And Tarzan is making it clear to you what's going on. Uh, You know, know, voters aren't going to say, I changed my mind on what Donald Trump did over the last four years. Uh, You know, I vote against him, against Joe Biden. I think it may just be people say, can we find Trumpism without having to deal with the baggage, with uh, all of the drama of Donald Trump? And, uh, you know, if you were casting about for a Trump alternative, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who has a lot of the same policies and a lot of the same bravado, but not a lot of the same baggage, uh, might be a pretty good choice. Well, I think that raises the question of what we're going to see in this field coming up when it comes to Republicans, this idea that people believe that Trump is going to run and potentially, you know, be up against a Ron DeSantis, a close ally of his, a Pence and that. And so if you're Trump and you're seeing this poll, what does that mean for you going forward? Well, I mean, nothing immediately. First of all, it's only two points. It's within the margin of error. It's two years out. Trump doesn't lack from self, for self-confidence. But, you know, you do have to wonder I mean, what's the dirtiest word in Donald Trump's lexicon? Loser. And the idea that, you know, despite what he said, he was a loser to Joe Biden. Now he could be a loser a second time and maybe, you know, not even get to the NCAA finals. He doesn't even get to the final four. He's busted in New Hampshire or something like that. You know, if you're the president or the, 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 the former president and you can't, you know, you were to lose in some of the early primaries. I mean, that is one of the questions I have about about Trump is if he if he comes into 23 and late into 23 and decides, you know, there's a real chance I could lose and lose in some of these primaries. Will he have the stomach for that? Chris, I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but I had Joe Cunningham, former Democratic congressman and current nominee, Democratic nominee for governor of South Carolina, who just put out a campaign video where he campaigned against the idea of people older than 72 being in office. And he told me that he doesn't think that Joe Biden should run for re-election. This is the Democratic nominee of South Carolina. What do you think of that as a campaign strategy? Well, you know, I, I, as a question, I find it personally offensive, John, since I'm older <laughs> than, <laughs> than 72. Um, you know, I, I, look, uh, these are unimaginable ages of these people that are running. I remember I, I covered Ronald Reagan and he, uh, he he turned he was elected at 69 he became president at 70 he left office at 78 and this was new territory because prior to him the oldest president we'd ever had was Dwight Eisenhower uh, who I either just turned 70 or not after 8 years in the white house i mean when you're talking about trump who i think would be 78 in 2024 and and uh, biden who would be 82 and worried to run as somebody said closer to 90 at the end of his term than than 82. It it seems to me it's an absolutely legitimate issue. I mean, in the end, you know what? And thank God voters decide what they think is the right issue, what's legitimate or not. But I could certainly see where, as we saw with Kennedy back in 1960, a new generation of leadership. You heard a little bit about that from Cunningham in his interview with you. 
uh, an eternally youthful Chris Wallace. <laughs> we appreciate you being with us this morning. Thank you. You bet. Everyone loves DeSantis. He's, he listens to the people, but he also listens to the establishment. He's all for red flag laws, right? He supports them. And he does enough to keep people pacified and keep his base energized. See, this is what you need to be paying attention. It's kind of like Lindsey Graham back in the day where everyone's like, oh, my God, look at him go with Kevin. I was like, are you guys insane? First of all, this boy lover, right, is flippy floppy. And he's great at things that will give him a lot of press. And then in the dark or on the side, right, he'll just do something. You're like, wait a minute. That's not, that's that's not what the Constitution says. It's like, you don't know how this works. Shut up. This is exactly it. Uh, it's it's the entice. It's like, um, what is it? Men call it blue balls, right? <laughs> that's what it is. Uh, that's exactly what we're getting from DeSantis. And they're using all these people to say, oh, you know, uh, it, it's, 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 it's all about, you know, Trump's the bad guy and this guy's better. And we need a new fresh, we need new fresh meat to give these people to focus on. We can't, he's destroying the GOP. That was his whole point. You guys, I've stated this so many times when I was in the state of North Dakota, I had decorated that whole state with uh, signs. No one paid me. His campaign didn't pay me. I got rid of 1,500 yard signs in less than a day. I had decorated it everywhere. And the GOP in August of 2016 would still not support President Trump. They did not want him. But then they thought, it's okay. We have a plan. He's going to get in and we're going to get him out and it's fine. And this way, it'll show why people outside of the party lines should not be able to run ever. This was their plan. Okay. And this is it. This is it. He's showing you how you destroy a tank. You take it. You take ownership. You make the bitches bend the knee and say, damn, it's his party now. Everyone's voting for him. And this is why you're seeing all these people spring up going against President Trump. Because they've been told, we can make this go away. You just work your magic. They've been told, you need to start this narrative because this is how you work your magic. They've been told how they do it. It's pretty simple. Boom. You know, you need to fix this. We can't have this going on. That's the way it is. You see it now? You see why he owns the GOP? You see why he endorsed a few people that you, you would be like he would never endorse them. He said it with himself. Yeah, we have the primary, but don't forget we have the November elections too. <laughs> and that's even worse because if Trump says, well, look, I endorsed this clown and it turns out he got dragged into court with this. Don't vote for that guy. This is ridiculous. Here's the thing. Da, da, da. And suddenly they tank. They can't win. And suddenly these independents that are popping up everywhere across the nation are the ones coming in. And then once you own something, guess what? You could destroy it or rebuild it. And I don't think he's going to rebuild it. I think he's going to destroy it and release all those bricks to the people and say, all right, guys, now it's your turn to do this. See, this is how you fix things. He told you, but now people don't listen. People say their own things. There's a lot going on in the background people aren't aware of. A lot, a lot. A lot. You know, I was really excited because um, 
You know, I should actually do like a live video on this. I might do it tomorrow. Um, but I'm thinking that um, maybe we could do like a fun show. Uh, maybe we could do that on Locals, which will be easier. But on Locals, uh, we'll be going through Hunter Biden's phone together. And then I'll set up a phone line where you guys can call me and ask me what you want to look up, like a search term on texts, and we could talk about it. Or we can read a chain of text together or something. So you guys can see, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not for the porn stuff, okay? Only because, you know, a lot of people have weak moments and a lot of people have this, but um, I think we should do like a call in. Hey, Tori, I want to know anything about this. Have you found anything on the computer? And I'll have the computer and his cell phone and we could all go through it together. I think that's something I'm going to look into. Uh, I want to say some more, but I want to go into uh, a video showing Vice President Pence's reactions um, to um, telling him that he needs to remove Trump. Just listen to this. Alex Holder met House with House investigators just a little while ago. Holder says he complied with the subpoena and he turned over hours of never before seen footage of then President Trump and his family and inner circle before and after the January 6th attack on the Capitol. This hour, we're going to give you a first look at some of that footage that we have obtained, including interviews with Trump two months after the attack in which he defended the Capitol rioters, and video of then-Vice President Mike Pence reacting in real time to congressional calls for him to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Donald Trump from office just days after the insurrection. Also featured interviews with Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner, including the first daughter, claiming that her father's goal was to have every vote counted, even as he was actually trying to do the exact opposite, trying to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 election and throw out votes from people who might not have voted for him. Filmmaker Alex Holder had extensive access to the 2020 Trump campaign for this documentary that's going to air later this summer on the streaming service Discovery Plus, which we should note shares the same parent company as CNN, Discovery. Discovery Plus provided these clips to CNN. So let's take a look now at our first clip from Alex Holder's documentary. What you're going to see is part of an interview with then Vice President Mike Pence on January 12th. That's the day that the House of Representatives approved a resolution urging Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Donald Trump from the office of president. Take a look. I joined the Senate Democratic leader in calling on the vice president to remove this president by immediately invoking the 25th Amendment. If the vice president and cabinet do not act, the Congress may be prepared to move forward with impeachment. Oh. <clears throat> 748. That's when I received it. But the House members got it a while back. Yeah, excellent. Um, tell Zach to print me off a hard copy for the sure. trip home. Great. I'm always hopeful about America. I 
always believe that America's best days are yet to come. And I still believe that. All right, so that is a first look uh, at an excerpt from Alex Holder's documentary. Uh, the, uh, the documentarian uh, met with the House committee today. Uh, uh, Dana, it is interesting to see Vice President Pence receive in real time an alert that the House of Representatives it was demanding that he invoke the 25th mm-hmm. Amendment on January 12th and remove Donald Trump from power. He asked about the time that he saw the timestamp on the email that they, that aide was or text or whatever it was that the aide was showing him, uh, clearly wanting to know uh, whether or not they got a heads up about it or whether it went out publicly. That's certainly how I read that. But also remember, this was after the the trauma of January 6th, a couple of days later. And he is so he's Mike Pence. I mean, he is so calm and and intentionally not emoting. Um, most times Mike Pence is like that in public and in private. That <laughs> is Mike Pence. But it also struck me that he is somebody who kind of grew up around broadcasting. He was in he was a radio guy before he was in um, political office. And he was keenly aware at the camera and the microphone yeah, were on. the camera's rolling. This was six days after the insurrection, so that traumatic day, and also the deaths uh, that followed. Because uh, remember, not only did people die that day, Trump supporters uh, and uh, Officer Sicknick, but there were several police officers who committed suicide, either because of the trauma or traumatic brain injury that they'd suffered during the attack. You know, on the one hand, I would say, don't play poker with this, with <laughs> <Right>. this man. <laughs> Uh, on the other, considering the timing of it, January 12th, that he is having this, it seems surreal that he is so emotionless at it. What does he say? Yeah, excellent. The cough, everything. Look, obviously, the music in the documentary adds a certain emotion to it, but I think it is, sorry about that, uh, it's, and, uh, it's quite something to see in real time when he knew how much pressure he was under. The thing is also, I mean, we know based on what other cabinet secretaries have said that the conversation about the 25th Amendment was happening behind the scenes. So it, I think it's unlikely that this would have been the from first. the beginning of the Trump presidency, <laughs> from, the, by from the, the beginning of the Trump presidency, but certainly in that time period after January 6th. So it, it would be. I'm curious to know, how did that coincide? Were there conversations privately happening behind the scenes with Pence about his role in invoking the 25th Amendment with other cabinet secretaries, including some who resigned in, in that period of time? Uh, Pence, though, in, in that clip is, as Dana says, that's Pence in public and in private. The filmmakers say in that clip, which if you're listening to this, you probably didn't see it. He declined to talk about January 6th. That tells you everything you need to know about where his head was at in those days after the attack. Even after all that he experienced, he still wasn't willing to go there to even be in a position to criticize uh, President Trump. It's visual evidence of the straitjacket Mike Pence put himself in for the entire Trump presidency, trying to stay calm trying to use his talking points, I believe the best of America, best days are ahead, uh, because he's surrounded by chaos constantly from day one. Uh, and to Abby's point, it, it's that he won't talk about January 6th. Now Mike Pence has made a clear break from Donald Trump on that day. Even then, he was still not sure what is in my best political interest, 
not going to talk about it. Going to be careful. So one thing I do want to note before we go on to the next clip is this is the letter that Vice President Pence wrote to Speaker Pelosi uh, in which he says, no, I'm not going to invoke the 25th Amendment. He says, last week, I did not yield to pressure to exert, exert power beyond my constitutional authority to determine the outcome of the election. And I will not now yield to efforts in the House of Representatives to play political games at a time so serious in the life of our nation. He says that the, the Trump administration's energy is directed to ensuring an orderly transition, which it might be true for him, but it was not true for a lot of other people, including Donald Trump. And he said, I urge you and every member of Congress to avoid actions that would further divide and inflame the passions of the moment. So in other words, uh, he was both sizing uh, what happened. Like, I can't believe you're, you're talking about this. But let's take a, a look now at another portion of this documentary from Alex Holder. Uh, it's an interview with Donald Trump. This is after the insurrection. This is in March 2021 at his Florida home, Mar-a-Lago. Can we talk for a minute about January 6th? Yeah. Well, it was a sad day, but it was a day where there was great anger in our country. The people uh, went to Washington primarily because they were angry with an election that they think was rigged. A very small portion, as you know, went down to the Capitol, and then a very small portion of them went in. But I will tell you, they were... uh, angry from the standpoint of what happened in the election because they're smart and they see and they saw what happened. And I believe that that was a big part of what happened on January 6th. That's actually pretty uh, restrained. He's justifying the criminality and the insurrectionists. Mm -hmm. He's downplaying what they were trying to do. They were just expressing anger. They were not just expressing anger. They were there to stop the counting of electoral votes to give the presidency to Donald Trump to steal it. Yeah. And he was talking as if it just happened in a place far away from anything that he did or said, or now that we are seeing, um, tried to coordinate with the people around him. They didn't just get angry. He made them angry right. by right. telling them lies. And he's not separated from that. How do these people live with themselves? That is- How do they live with themselves knowing that they're lying? Don't they get tired of it? Do they think that they will be covered? Like that no one will do anything. You know, Voltaire said it best. If you can convince someone to believe absurdities, you can have them commit atrocities. And this is a double-pronged statement, but it's very important. Very important. The absurdity of not being able to define a sex is believed, and therefore atrocities will come. The absurdity to believe that conception isn't where life begins allows the atrocities to continue. See, this is how you get people to do stupid things and disgusting things by having them believe stupid things. Saying stupid, do stupid things, win stupid prizes. Right. Well, that's interesting because that's exactly it. I want you to listen to this um, GOP lawmaker who says that he can't support President Trump. Literally said that. And it's like, guess what? People can't support you either. That's the way it goes. Mike Pence. 
and, and others, and the violent, the, you know, the violence that may have happened to my pets. That well, I don't like it, but I say I've, I heard all of that before the testimony. But I'm probably keyed up because I watch the news pretty closely. I listen to you. Right, right, right. <laughs> but most of that stuff we knew about, but yeah. I don't like it. It was uh, we respect voter election results, uh-huh. and you have the courts to appeal, but we have rule of law. Mm-hmm. At some point, you got to respect the results. Yeah. And uh, so I don't, and I. I admire Mike Pence. I think he's a honest, good person. You may not agree with his politics. I personally do. But I thought he did the right thing, and it was. Uh, I, so the pressure campaign, I, I disagree with. I thought it was wrong. Yeah, I mean, he continued to do it even after he was told it was illegal. Do you think that he acted illegally or even criminally? Well, I believe uh, he probably had people talking to both ears. I just, I'm not a lawyer. I think it was just wrong. I get asked this on some other shows. Not a lawyer to judge if it's criminal or not. I'll let, I'll let the uh, attorneys do that. I just think we can say it was wrong. At some point, our, our country, we, we've had our first elections in 1990. We came in power in 1991. you got to respect the results. Otherwise, we lose what we got. Do you think that Trump should run again? Would you support him if he did? Well, I was asked this on uh, one of your friendly uh, news channels uh, the other day. I prefer, uh, I would, when it comes to the primary, I will not be supporting him. I'll be looking for a better candidate. So I want to win in our district. Uh, we lost our district by eight points at the presidential level, and I ended up winning mine by five, roughly. And uh, so I think uh, we should be looking for someone who can win in the suburban areas. And I don't think you can. Didn't show it this last time. And granted, the, the environment's a little different because we have high inflation, high crime throughout the country, the border. Uh, but we can we can select somebody that has the policies, but we also got to have an optimistic message. And I think. People, at least where I'm from, want a more respectful message. I think if you're disrespectful, but I say. And it was muted, wasn't it? Of course it was. So let's get rid of Bacon. Bacon, Bacon, Nebraska. Get rid of this guy. He just told you everything we've been talking about (laughs) throughout this time. Uh, He's told you how President Trump doesn't. you know, say all the right things and people want him to be nicer in the suburban areas. You know, the soccer moms, they want to do the right thing. I need to vaccinate my kid because, you know, oh my gosh, did you see her seven seater? Oh my God. Did you see what she was wearing? Oh my God. And so, and so was cheating. Yeah. Those bitches, those bitches that are our Gen X brainwashed generation, right? And the early millennials, those bitches, uh, that is what he's targeting. Those are the ones that were like, yeah, you know, we need to like, I only go organic. Well, no more organic. Thanks to the Democrats. What do you mean? I thought they were all about liberty and liberation. It's like, yeah, but not with your food. They're burning shit down and they want you to have genetically modified things. And maybe you should use crickets to bake your cake next time. Cricket meal is better. You deserve to eat bugs because that's better for you. Higher in protein too. You know, that's the way it goes. So I threw batting practice to my kids kids today. today. Barely lift my right arm. An athlete I am not. This was an actual exchange between former Vice President Mike Pence and Fox Business Network's host Larry Kudlow in mid-June. Watch. Have you ever seen a president who refuses to accept blame and, I want to add to that, commits so many falsehoods I'm being very polite here, calling it falsehoods, falsehoods. uh, You know, on any given day, he's out there saying stuff that just ain't true. You ever seen anything like that? Never in my lifetime. I said today that uh, uh, 
There has never been a time in my life where a president was more disconnected from the American people than we see today. Repeat, this back and forth actually happened on planet Earth. And as far as I can tell, it was not an attempt at parody by either side. So let's go through some facts, shall we? We shall. Fact one. According to the Washington Post fact checker, former President Donald Trump said 30,573 things that were either false or misleading during his four years in office. That averages out to... All right, so their fact checkers are what agrees with them. So, Chris, let me ask you a question. Let's talk about Obamacare. Can we talk about that big lie? Because that was a big lie. Can we talk about that? That trumps everything. How's that? Obamacare, one of the biggest lies sold to the people. One of the biggest lies sold to the people. Hey, you're going to get great health care. And everyone's going to get health care. And no pre-existing stuff. Everyone's going to get health care. But it wasn't intended for that, was it? Kind of like how they stuffed pork in the bills. This bill was all pork. And the top of it was just the media pushing it. Again, how do these people sleep at night? I mean, then you have to define people. And then you have to be like, do clone lives matter? I don't know. What about AI? Which, by the way, blew my mind. I, I, I oh, sorry. This is, this is connected in a sense. So obviously being delayed at the airport, I'm watching Netflix. And I'm watching this new Korean series, uh, just picked it out of nowhere and started to watch it. And I realized one thing, holy crap, peop those people don't exist. They literally don't exist. It was all animation. And when I saw it, it's because the rendering of the skin and the hair sometimes, for those of you that know graphics design, understand what I'm saying. I, I've known a lot of graphic designers and how down to the tiniest pixel they'll go. And, you know, hair rendering is one of the most difficult things you could do for the movement. And I noticed it in the character. Hold on. Let me pull up the, the series name so you could probably see it too. Let me just see where it is. It is called, it was from 2017. Shit. What was it called? My Shy Boss. Is it? No. Damn it. Because I flipped through them. I was like, what kind of stupid titles are these? Give me a second. I'm trying to see, um, damn, I think it's the one episode and in info. Um, oh, there it is. Uh, it's from 2020. That was the one. Jung Seo's actions at school. No, is that it? Nope, that's not it either. Shoot. Damn it. I have to find it because I watched it and I was like, oh my gosh, I should save this. It was completely manufactured. Like they don't exist. Maybe this is how... They can sleep at night. 21 a day, every day, for four years. And by his last year in office, Trump was saying upwards of 39 false or misleading statements a day, which honestly had to take some effort. Fact two, Donald Trump has and continues to lie about the 2020 presidential election. His election lies played a central role in the motivation for those who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. And then there's fact three. Trump himself, decades ago, acknowledged the role that... Um, exaggeration played in his life. Here's Trump from his book, The Art of the Deal. Quote, I play to people's fantasies. People may not always think big themselves, but they can still get very excited by those who do. That's why a little hyperbole never hurts. People want to believe that something is the biggest and the greatest and the most spectacular. I call it truthful hyperbole. It's an innocent form of exaggeration and a very effective form of promotion, end quote. 
In August 2020, Trump was asked by a reporter point blank. Uh, Mr. President, after three and a half years, you regret it all. All the lying you've done to the American people. All the what? All the lying, all the dishonesties. That who has done? You have done. Uh, Tens of thousands. Go ahead, please. Please. Now Biden, like all politicians, has said some things while in office that do stretch the truth. For example, the Washington Post fact checker recently gave him four Pinocchios, that's the highest number of Pinocchios you can get, for saying that his plan to fight inflation would cut the average family's average annual utility bill by $500. Quote, most of the claim savings come from the reduced cost of driving, wrote the fact checker, adding, and the estimate is for 2030 when he would no longer be president, even if he served a second term. Is there any doubt the president earns four Pinocchios, end quote. And Biden is, again, without question, prone to exaggeration. Hold on a second. Did they just say that that cut's going to be because people aren't going to be driving as much? Wait, so you mean gas is going to be so high that people won't be traveling anymore, so they'll be saving money because they can't travel? <laughs> I see how you could save money on that. Don't need car insurance. There's an extra couple hundred dollars a month. Don't need gas. There's a couple hundred dollars every month. So weird. So weird. But by 2030. Oh, what was 2030 again? That's right. Especially when it comes to his own background. In January, for example, Biden said that he had been arrested at a civil rights protest. No such evidence of such an arrest exists. But comparing Biden to Trump on the matter of truth-telling is really comparing apples to staplers. As CNN's Daniel Dale wrote in assessing Biden's truthfulness during his first year in office, quote, Unlike his uniquely dishonest predecessor, Biden did not bury fact-checkers in a daily avalanche of serial falseness. Biden never came close to making a dozen false claims in a single speech, let alone five dozen false claims in one address, address as, as Trump, Trump once did. In fact, Biden can't even string a sentence, let alone make all these falsities, right? But here's a falsity. You're told that, uh, you know, guns kill people, so we need to regulate guns, stop the bullets and everything. Well, a 70-year-old man shot and killed three people in an Alabama church, and he was stopped by a guy with no gun and no body armor, you know, just a citizen that had a gun and stopped it. Did you hear about that one? Police say that a third victim has, has died. died after that mass shooting at a church in Vestavia Hills, Alabama. Vestavia Hills, Alabama, just outside Birmingham. Police say a gunman opened fire at attendees of a church potluck dinner last night. Police have a 71-year-old man in custody. As CNN's Nadia Romero reports for us. The alleged gunman was stopped and subdued and held down by another parishioner. We are getting reports of a possible active shooter. Three people are dead after a shooting Thursday night at a church in Vestavia Hills, Alabama, a suburb of Birmingham. An active shooter incident with injury seen as an obscure. At least three patients. Police say St. Stephen's Episcopal Church was hosting a potluck dinner when the suspect, a 71-year-old man who was attending the event, opened fire. At some point, he produced a handgun and began shooting, striking three victims. The best estimate we have at this time for patients is going to be in the parish hall. The shooter has been held down at this time, but the scene is not secure. Investigators say after opening fire, the suspect was held down by another person at the event. We can't get radio reception. Multiple people down. Subject to see. Police identifying the victims as 84-year-old Walter Rainey, who died on the scene, and 75-year-old Sarah Yeager, who died at the hospital. The third victim, an 84-year-old woman, died at the hospital Friday. The ordeal leaving the community in disbelief. You see it in places you've never been to. 
people you don't know. And then now you're thinking that could have been one of my friends down there. Former U.S. Senator Doug Jones has lived in the neighborhood for nearly three decades. Uh, but I think it just goes to show that no community uh, is immune uh, from this kind of uh, gun violence that we see playing out across the country. No one is immune. So far, investigators have not released a motive, but say the suspect who is in custody acted alone. Police praising the bravery of the person who held down the suspect until they arrived. The person that subdued the suspect, in my opinion, is a hero. Earlier today, parishioners packed a prayer vigil at St. Luke's Episcopal Church about six miles away. I think the church has got a lot to mourn. So the mayor here in this town says this was simply a senseless act of violence. He says that there are chaplains providing grief counseling to the victims' families and the first responders. And Jake, as you know, churches, places of worship are not immune to gun violence. Today marks seven years since nine people were gunned down in their own church, Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Seven years today. Jake? Nadia Romero, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Right. Could you imagine if that person that was in the church with the gun that subdued the gunman didn't bring his gun because, you know, he doesn't believe in the Second Amendment or didn't have it in his back pocket or handbag, whatever it is. Right. He didn't need any body armor. He just needed to be a law abiding citizen that was holding that gun and took him down. It could have been 30 people, not three. See, this is indeed it. But here's where I want to enrage you a little bit. I want you to see uh, the damage that has been done by infiltration, but also how they're skewing the narrative to make the left fear you. Oops, let me get this one going. And our favorite, Jim Acosta. People like that don't exist. Mark Twain once remarked how easy it is to make people believe a lie and how hard it is to undo that work again. Mark Twain was right. More than a year since Trump left office, the big lie has only gotten bigger. CNN's Donio Sullivan shows us it's taken on a life of its own. What you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening. Former President Donald Trump's relentless attacks on the truth has eroded faith in American democracy and its institutions. You don't trust the election officials. Nope. Nope. You don't trust the FBI. Nope. Nope. You don't trust the courts. Nope. Who do you trust? Trump and his supporters. And anybody that has in that, that when I listen to them talk, they don't turn my stomach with the disingenuousness. Do you have trust and fate now in, in American democracy and American elections? No. I mean, I think whoever wins, wins. I'm all about that. He will win if he runs again. But the people that know that we were cheated are almost at the point of saying, I don't want to vote because it'll happen again. Because it'll happen again. What is your reaction to, to a hearing from an American like that? Well, 10 years ago, it would have been shock and disbelief. And I would have thought, well, she's an outlier and she's not representative of anything larger than a fringe movement, maybe. But of course, that's not the case anymore. Barbara Walter is a professor at the University of California in San Diego. She has studied civil conflict for years from Yugoslavia to Northern Ireland. Experts who study civil wars and know the warning signs, we've been talking about them, but nobody um, wanted to believe it. 
And January 6th made it impossible to deny and ignore that there really was this cancer growing in our own country. There was a threat that was mobilizing. She warns the constant barrage of lies undermining American elections from right-wing media, on social media, and from Trump himself has put the United States on a perilous path. Citizens do believe what they are hearing, and if they hear it long enough and consistently enough, and if that's all they hear, they absolutely don't think it's a lie. They think it's the truth. Will you trust the next election? Uh, Probably not. But that's a terrible thing, right? Oh, yeah, it's a terrible thing. I don't think you can trust our government anymore. It's, it's, it's sad, but I really don't think you can. That's what Trump is all about, making the elections in the future fair so we can believe when you vote for somebody, that person's going to get your vote. You know, they're, they're good people. They're, they're trying to do what they think is right. It's the leadership that's cynical. It's the leadership that knows better, who's feeding them lies consistently. They always talk about the big lie. They're the big lie. While just 30% of Americans think there is solid evidence that there was widespread fraud in the 2020 election, 62% of Republicans say so. Looking ahead to the 2022 midterm elections, only 42% of Republicans say they're somewhat or very confident the results will be counted accurately. They're priming their supporters to believe that democracy isn't worth defending because they don't want democracy anymore. And Donnie O'Sullivan joins me now. Donnie, great piece as always. You know, I'm kind of curious, you know, when you talk to these Trump supporters, do they have any ideas for an alternative to democracy? I guess maybe it's dictatorship. The Trump dictatorship? Yeah, Jim, I mean, you know, we've spoken to, I guess now, hundreds of of Trump supporters all across the country over over the past year um, and since the election. And, you know, we have heard from people along the way when when there was a coup happening in Myanmar last year, people kind of, Americans, Trump supporters looking to that, saying, oh, that would be great if if we had that happen here and Trump was put back uh, in power. What I did notice being at Trump's most recent uh, rally in Arizona a few weeks ago was, you know, we spent so much of the past year hearing fantastical claims uh, about Venezuelan voting machines and bamboo bamboo paper and everything else. And that's how the election uh, was supposedly stolen. The messaging seems to be a little bit more disciplined now. And we're hearing less and less of that from people and more um, support, more just straight support uh, for those restrictive voting measures that Republicans are putting in place at the state level. So what we're seeing now is the base has been has been laid where there's all these conspiracy theories. People truly uh, believe some of them. Some of them really, truly believe the election was stolen. Some of them know uh, it's a talking point and know better. But some people, I think, as you saw in that piece, people literally draped in the American flag. flag. Uh, believing this kind of stuff. And that is now they're giving their support to these. That's because it is the truth. And, you know, um, the live committee hearing is starting now in a bit. So we're going to wrap this up with what a voter says this whole charade is about. Take a listen. He repeats itself. And uh, so I I do think think we... we need to have history record what happens to prevent this from happening again. Frank Richards has been closely watching the congressional hearings investigating the January 6th attack, hoping all Americans, not just Democrats like himself, are paying at least some attention. From the hearings, 
and I'm not a big Mike Pence fan. I really respect what Mike Pence did. I think we all need to be patriots and respect the Constitution, which we're sworn to defend. Richards is among the millions who have tuned into the four televised hearings this month, which have shined an unsparing light on Donald Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election here in Georgia and beyond. Yet despite new details of the lengths Trump and his allies tried to cling to power, Mr. Trump was told by his own advisors that he had no basis for his stolen election claims. Yet he continued to pressure state officials to change the election results. The hearings have elicited disinterest and disdain among many in the Republican-leaning suburbs of Atlanta. I really think they're just after Trump. They're not after the truth. It's one-sided, and I choose not to watch it. Is there anything that could come out in the hearing that would, uh, would change your mind about things? Um... All I know is I'm not going to watch the rest of it. You know, I have other things to do with my time. Well, I'm not a crook. A half century after the Watergate hearings captivated the country and led to Richard Nixon's resignation, the findings of the House Select Committee, so far at least, are largely seen through the same partisan lens that deeply divides an exhausted nation. Yet there is nuance, as we found talking to Richard Bianco, who voted for Trump the first time, but not his re-election. You know, I'm a Republican and I'm... (laughs) A lot of people need to be held accountable, but we're not getting anywhere. Is, is Trump one of those people that needs to be held accountable, do you think? If we could get the information out, yes. Franzetta Ivey said she has prayed for people to watch with an open mind. I pray that they will actually tune in and watch this so they can see for themselves. The hearing has shined an even brighter light on Trump's meddling in Georgia. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes which voters in both parties told us crossed a line. I need so many votes. And that's so ridiculous. It's almost like Trump. First of all, you really think that's like gangster. Harvey and Patricia Newman, both Democrats, have watched every moment of the proceedings. This is an attack on our democracy. I do not think the Watergate hearings were rose to, to that level, even close. Do you? No, I think you're right. Finding the truth for history is important, they say, but even more for future elections. They get off, then I can't tell you how worried I am about 2024. Well, that was a sentiment we... Well, then, I just have to say thank you to the person in that special division that made my job easier with what happened in Georgia during the primary. Thank you. Without further ado, let's switch over to uh, the January 6th uh, committee public hearing. I actually paused it on a very, ah, doesn't he, don't they feel safe? Um, uh, You know, I'm sorry, I just have to. Every time I see someone with a mask, I'm like, oh, don't you feel safe? And I love smoking right next to people outside that are wearing masks. They're like, can you move over with your cigarette? You could smell it. You're definitely going to get whatever's in the air. So, you know, that kind of helps with the whole cognitive dissonance thing where they think they're safe. So this is going on right now. This uh, charade. Let's take a look at some of these faces that are here. Let's just fast forward to the live section. There we go. Let's go live. Oh, look at all these media. Oh, look at that guy. He's safe with like triple masks right there. Her, she's really safe. So is that guy and that guy. We all know who they work for. They're all on emails. Who's that? Interesting faces. Oh my gosh, who's that? 
Oh, by the way, um, I thought I'd um, bring to, oh, I, I thought I'd share a fun story. Okay. So I posted some of the, on my telegram. So last night I uh, touched down at about 3am to Cleveland airport. Uh, I didn't even remember the flight cause I used my new um, pillow and pretty much just fell asleep standing up there next to some guy that I've flown next to again before. Anyway, so when I get um, home, I park the car up and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to play a game of backgammon. I'm in a battle with the super AI Tesla um, in my car. Currently, the battle is at um, their AI is winning 30. I'm losing at 29. Uh, <laughs> so I play every now and then when I park up, I play one round and um, had my uh, cigarette played my game. And we're live this afternoon and, from the Cannon House uh, office building. For the- and went up. And so when I go up, I try to scan my thing to get in and I can't. And I see that, you know, the whole foyer there, the whole building there is with a lot of people and people with puppies and whatnot. I'm like, what is going on? So this guy's telling me that he's already been there for an hour and that the system uh, you know, shut down and nobody can get into the building. So I look at the security guard and I'm like, well, all you need to do is turn off this switch so it goes on manual and people can at least go through the rotating doors. The guy's looking, all security guards are looking, nothing. So I tell the cop about four, 430. Hey, can you like see if you can like bust the doors? Like, I mean, we can't get a locksmith because these are magnetically locked doors. It's very secure. Uh, you know, who now well, that would be a fire department thing. So everybody there, uh, all the tenants are calling the emergency maintenance guy from 3 a.m. And emergency maintenance isn't coming. I actually spoke to him. He's like, Oh, did you break your key in your door? And I'm like, What are you talking about? there's a bunch of us outside. Are you coming or not? He's like, yeah, three minutes away. That was like at four 30. So at five something, I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I called nine one one. Cause I tried to call the non-emergency line and there was no answer. And I was like, listen, this isn't a super emergency, but we can't get into the building. The doors are like iron bolted shut. Um, police say that you guys are like the best at it. So I called, um, not, you know, the fire department, I was hoping that they'd come in looking all like hot, you know, like in a movie and stuff. Didn't. They were all over it. They just could not get this door open, which is a good thing because it's highly secure. But all we needed was the key to turn off um, the uh, the power so we can go. That was interesting. Another interesting thing is that Sean Penn is in the audience. I wonder why CAA is completely involved in this. I guess maybe it's a new documentary, right? Anyway, uh, so that's actually what happened. Uh, turns out at um, 6 a.m. Uh, when normal staff came, one guy came and he actually had the car. So the, 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 the card and the key to disable the power from at least the rotary doors and we got in. But now, you know, the fire marshal is going to be like, dude, if there was a fire, this would be a big problem because people wouldn't be able to exit the building. Oh, my gosh. He's talking to the guy with the tattoo. Sean Penn is talking to the guy with the tattoo on his neck. The the actor. Holy crap. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, C-SPAN, for showing this. Holy crap. 
the guy with the spider web tattoo is sitting by Sean Penn and they're shooting the shit and exchanging phone numbers or whatever and talking. There's the police guy next to him. They're all excited because Sean Penn's there. That wouldn't make me excited. Who's that with the mask? Who is that? Oh my gosh. Can you guys see this? Yeah, you can. Those of you that aren't seeing it, you've got the, 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 the bullshitter testifier with the web tattoo on his neck sitting right next to Sean Penn having a very exciteful conversation while the pit in front of where all these people are sitting are just tables that your tax dollars paid for and internet connections your tax dollars paid for uh, where they're set up sending emails and statements to be the first to break a story or an angle for it. All of them. My gosh, this is such a charade. It's like having the, the audience and the crowd to do stuff like this. You know, that's what they're there for. Or That sounds better. That's exactly what they're doing in there. Wow, they just spent our money to house all these clowns in here to type things. Look at all those photographers. I'm going to get that shot. Oh, I'm going to get the perfect shot. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Look at the dude in the back with his like super mask. Some masks, no masks. Speaking of masks, did you notice that Buffy the Vampire Slayer is talking about how she has asthma and now she's going through COVID-19 and it's really bad. And then Blossom slash Amy from, you know, um, the Big Bang Theory, the neuroscientist, she went on a rant, um, you know, talking about how she's fully vaccinated and boosted. And because she has asthma, she's finding it difficult to, um, you know, get better in her ordeal with COVID-19. Suddenly, all these people that have asthma that got this some, you know, booster or having a problem. And it's going to get bigger in September where schools are open and flu season begins. And flu season is just people sharing germs, right? It's kind of like parents with little kids, they knew kindergarten, first grade, many of your kids go out, it's lice season, right? And your kids would come back with like lice in their hair and all that stuff because suddenly they're all pooling together. (laughs) You know, I'm just saying, and all the boogers and everything, you know, when school's open, those of you that are parents know they bring some shit home. The first week of school, they start to bring the cooties home. We all know this. As parents, we all know this because it is basic science, right? How did the plagues and all those diseases come to the West? It's when the East made their charge to the West and they brought things that they're immune to to the West that they aren't. This is why, you know, people may have immunities against, you know, I don't know, maybe because the Chinese drink so much soy. I mean, they all look kind of feminine, but let's just say because they drink so much soy, maybe they're more immune to the soy properties of growing breasts and being more feminine than people in the West. And suddenly you introduce it and everyone's like limp wristed. You know, these are this is basic science. This basic science that when you bring people from different environments with what they have, you know, you're going to have, you know, festering of disease or colds or whatever. And this is exactly it. For those of you that um, have children know this. So it's going to get really, really bad now with all these boosters. And man, they're driving to get these kids vaccinated before school starts. And that is going to be a big, big problem. Um, so 
you know, we know that actual science <laughs> says that this happens. Okay. And the doors have opened right now with the January 6th sham committee. Uh, this is episode number five orchestrated. Thank you.